All right, as we get started this morning, I want to open it up uh, with a couple of questions, and I want you to focus on, uh, I'm going to come down here, the word one. So here's the first one. Uh, let's say, uh, uh, I don't want you to raise your hand, let's say for the, for the sake of uh, uh, the promised land here that we're all looking forward to, you live a day that nobody's on a diet. Wouldn't that be a great day? Nobody's on, yeah. Well, that's, a, that's better than any reaction we've had all day. Okay. So, but let's pretend you can eat any candy bar you want. You got a day, you can have a snack, eat any candy bar you want. So, on the count of three, yell out the one candy bar you love the most. Ready? No, no. <laughs> Boy, somebody's like, I'm off that diet now. Okay, so here we go. On the count of three. One, two, three. Okay, I, there's a lot of candy eaters. Okay, now here's where it gets really tough. Now, somebody calls you and they say, hey, I hear you're in this magical world where there's no diets, and they say, I want to take you out and eat in Bloomington at any restaurant of your choosing. You can get as much as you want to eat. What would be the one restaurant? No, hey, <laughs> seriously, give me three. Okay, okay. So on the, on the count of three, one, two, three. Well, we, we like to eat here. Okay, I think we found a common denominator. Now. Matter of fact, what's interesting, when I was listening to the restaurants, I did not hear White Castle. I think there's a reason why. Now, here's what I want us to think about. What if somebody gave you this assignment? I want you to describe the heart of God, and I want you to describe it using one chapter out of the Bible. What chapter would you use? So somebody comes to you and says, I want you to describe the heart of God, and you have one chapter, just one, what chapter would you use? So I, I thought about that and I prayed about that because I thought as we launch here on the west side, I want us to focus on what really matters to God. I want us to focus on where's the heart of God. And as I prayed through it, I thought I would have to say that one chapter for me is Luke chapter 15. So I'd like to take your Bibles and uh, if you've got your iPads with you, your uh, your phones, anything, just go to Luke chapter 15 in the New Testament, and we're going to talk about this one chapter, because this is the chapter that we, I think, experience the heart of God, and that's why we're here. We're here so that we can share the heart of God with our friends, with our family, with our, our neighbors, those that are just trying to reconnect with God. We are doing everything we can to do that. So I want you to know this. We didn't start the west side to reach church people, okay? Does that make sense? Why would we do that? I don't know about you, but we have enough churches just trying to reach church people. What we're trying to reach out is people that are hurting and people are trying to find their way back to God. So turn with me over to Luke chapter 15, and let's just pray. God, as we get rolling this morning, we just pray that you'll honor your word. Uh, through us, and Lord, that we realize the, the heart uh, of, of you and your son is a heart that is reaching out to those that are hurting and those trying to find their way back to you. Thank you for this amazing day, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, in Luke chapter 15, uh, Jesus has an amazing audience. Now, imagine this. If you go back to actually Luke 14, you see that he encounters the Pharisees, which he encounters them a lot. So they're already listening to every teaching of Jesus because, honestly, they don't agree with where Jesus is going with his teaching, and they don't like his lifestyle because Jesus is in the trenches with the hurting. 
He's with the prostitutes. He's with women. He's with, you go down the line, everything that the culture says you should not be hanging with those people, Jesus was with those individuals to guide them to God. And his teachings were always leaning towards drawing people to God. So they're already on to him. You get to Luke 15, and it says in verses 1 and 2, they were in the room with him, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And I picture them sitting in the front. And I, I picture them leaning into everything that Jesus said because they wanted to try to trip him up. They wanted to hear if he was going to go off course. And then behind them, this is how I picture it, it says there were the sinners. There were those that were just seeking hope. So they're listening to every word that Jesus shares, and they're just clinging to any word that will give them hope. So that's the audience. So imagine if we came here this morning, and half of you are already mad at me. You came listening to every word, and you walk in and go, yeah, I'll tell you why I don't like him, because I don't like Chick-fil-A. And he had a cow out there, you know what I'm saying? So let's start there. So imagine if every word you shared, you knew there's a group of people that they don't like anything you're saying. How difficult would that be? And then imagine if there was another group of you and you came here desperate this morning, just searching for hope. And imagine those two groups colliding together. So Jesus does this in an amazing way. He shares a trilogy of parables. Now, do you know what a parable is? I'm going to test how many of you grew up in Sunday school. Here's how I'm going to know. A parable is an earthly story with a Boy, we have a lot of non-churchgoers. Okay, that's good. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, let me just boil it down to even simpler than that. It's a fictional story with real-life lessons. So you listen to these fictional stories, but in there is absolute truth. And here's the most important thing. Anytime you read a parable, and Jesus teaches a parable, here's the most important thing for everybody in this room. Find yourself in the parable. So as you listen to the parable, don't go, boy, that's a nice story. Listen to the parable and then say, where am I in this story? And then you'll be surprised how that parable will come alive. Now, I got to be honest with you, it's hard to put yourself in stories like that because we all react to stories differently. How many of you have ever had this happen? You are watching a movie and a movie really inspires you to the point you're crying. And you look around and the other people in the room are not crying. Matter of fact, they don't even like the movie. You ever had that happen? Or have you ever had somebody that says, this is the greatest movie, and you'll be watching it, and about halfway through, you're like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. You never had that? My daughter, Danielle, we had this experience a couple of Christmases ago. She said, this movie is the best movie ever. Dad, you got to watch it. And it was frozen. <laughs> I was frozen. I was so bored. I'm like, really? You know, I'm watching that, and she's like, you this doesn't move you. I'm like, what? It's winter. They're all frozen. You know, I was all depressed, you know. Now, here's the thing. All of us have experiences like that, where we have a, a story that moves us, but it may not move somebody else. And I think that's why Jesus said, I'm going to share with you three stories, and you're going to get it. And you're going to begin to understand at the end of the third story, the very heart of God. You're going to begin to understand why I came to earth. So here's this first parable, Luke 15 verses 2 through 7. Jesus tells a parable about a shepherd, and he has how many sheep? A hundred, and one of them wanders away. And they all understand it because in their world, they understood sheep. And they said, this one gets away. 
And this shepherd drops the 99, leaves the 99 to find the one. Now, you got to remember this. That made no sense to them because they all understood the nature of sheep. Uh, before I came to Bloomington, came back to Sherwood Oaks, we were in a rural community for nearly 10 years. And so I had a chance to talk to a lot of guys who farmed. And I remember one time preaching on sheep, and I asked one of the farmers, just give me a rundown, your analysis of sheep. And it was pretty basic conversation. He goes, well, first of all, let's start with this. They're really stupid, okay? They're just not really. And here's the other thing. They are defenseless. You don't ever hear about any attack by a killer sheep. You know what I'm saying? They are defenseless. Now, here's something else about sheep that I found really interesting. Uh, Tom taught this uh, three or four weeks ago, Wednesday night, with our uh, discipleship group. Sheep, when they wander off, all the other animals in the animal kingdom, they have this built-in radar to find their way home. You know what happens to a sheep? <laughs> I'm just going to go, you know. They're kind of like teenagers. They just kind of wander off, you know, and, and you just think, what is going on? Now, here's the thing about the, the fatal flaw of this wandering nature, and this actually happened. In 2005, in Istanbul, Turkey, these group of shepherds got together. They went down in this little village. They left one shepherd up on the hill. They brought their flocks, is that right, flocks of sheep together, okay, and they watched on the top of this beautiful, you know, hill, and they couldn't believe what unfolded. One ridiculous sheep ran over a cliff. Just randomly ran. They, they're watching this sheep run over a cliff. You'll never guess what happened after that. 1,500 sheep ran over that same cliff. That's <laughs> not funny. But anyway, <laughs> 450 of those sheep died. Do you know how they survived? By landing on the other sheep. <laughs> okay. Now, here's what's scary. Of all the animals in the animal kingdom, who do you think we're compared to the most? It'd be, yeah, you got that. We're sheep. You know. So God is saying, here's my perspective of you. Let me, of all the animals, lions, tigers, bears, no, you're sheep, you know, because you wander off. You just make ridiculous decisions. You wander off to the point sometimes you, you don't even find your way back to me. You're defenseless. And honestly, sometimes you will kill yourself. You'll go over a cliff intentionally because you just don't get it. So when Jesus said, don't ever lose sight of what a shepherd was willing to do to leave the 99. So how would you compare that? Here's the one word, compassion. Compassion. God loves us not because we deserve his love. He loves us because compassionately he realizes without him, we are all defenseless. The 99 in one. And isn't that a beautiful picture? That when you feel like you're totally separated from God, he reaches out to you no matter where you're at, and he's going to try to find you. He's going to do whatever it takes. Here's the second parable that I love. It's Luke 15, 8 through 10. He talks about the woman, and she loses a coin. She sweeps the, the floor feverishly. She goes to the house to do whatever she can to find the one coin. Now, here's what you need to know historically. That coin is called a drachma, and it's worth a, a one day's wage. So you think, I still don't understand why she's so frantic to find this one coin. Well, in their culture, as part of the dowry, in other words, uh, many times when they were married, the woman would wear a headband, and she would have these coins on her headband. So this wasn't just a coin that was worth a day's wage. This was part of a dowry, which was part of a legacy 
which was part of a priceless article in her life that she would do anything to find. We all have priceless articles in our, in our houses. We have things that they're priceless to us, but if we were to sell them at a yard sale, we, we would barely get a buck for them. We all have those type of things. And so this woman is doing everything in her power to go through the house to find frantically something she's lost. Now, how many of you here can relate to losing things? Let's be honest with one another. Okay, look at somebody that you know right now that they lose things. Okay, yeah, don't, yeah, don't start a fight. Okay. Now, here's a story. It still makes my heart ache the first time I heard it. Um, it's Tony and Lisa Hopkins, and they gave me permission to share this story. Uh, they were engaged, and, and you could go, ah, Yeah, I think it was like 40 or 50 years ago, whatever it was, you know. They were engaged, and uh, so they're canoeing. Didn't you see that? Another, ah, let's, ah. And Lisa stands up and says, I lost my ring, her engagement ring. Now, that's not ah. If you're Tony, that's what? So anyway, you can see them, can't you, frantically? Now, here's your question. Did they find the ring? Tony, they did not find the ring. Now, as Tony was sharing this a year or so ago at the Cloverleaf, if you ever have somebody when they're sharing a story, you can physically feel it yourself. And I thought, oh, my land, I've lost a lot of stuff, but... I can't imagine Lisa and Tony frantically going through mud and gunk for an engagement ring. All of us, though, can relate to losing something valuable and what we're willing to do to find it. Matter of fact, let me share with you a survey that is mind-boggling. A Dr. Paul Westmore, uh, who does uh, a lot of research on leadership development and a product management said this, and I love this. He said, the average person who has a messy environment spends an hour to an hour and a half every day searching for something. I hate that statistic. Okay, so if you have a messy, so if I would go, if you look in my car right now, in some of our cars and homes, you'd say, messy environment, odds are you spend a lot of time looking for something. The average person will spend one year of their life looking for lost things. And some of us know that's just scratching the surface. I mean, I think I've spent at least 10 years of my life searching for things. So we all know what it's like, that sickening feeling when we are desperately searching for fill in the blank. Matter of fact, here are the top three things that people lose. Their cell phone their house keys, their car keys, okay? And then number four, your children. I thought that was odd. But anyway, (laughs) but I want you to look at verse 10. I want you to go to Luke 15, verse 10, and read this slowly with me, and let this one verse sink in. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I want you to think about that. Jesus is telling these parables about a shepherd who goes to find the one sheep that wandered away. He tells this parable about a woman who frantically is going through the house, and then he flips the switch. And he says, oh, by the way, we're not talking about sheep here, and we're not talking about lost coins. We're talking about flesh and blood people. And do you realize what God is willing to do, not for things, what he's willing to do for people? He will do anything to find you. 
Now, what do you think the, the emotion was in that room when he uttered those words? Here's these Pharisees and the teachers of the law in the front. Here's the sinners in the back. And you can feel the tension as they're like, oh, my land. This just got personal. What Jesus is saying is he loves everybody in this room. To the sinner, Jesus will die for the Pharisee. For the Pharisee, Jesus will die for the sinner. And for everybody here today in this room, he'll die for you. He's already died for you. He'll do whatever it takes to find you. He'll do whatever it takes to reach you. And that's why Jesus is saying, I want you to get this. This is the heart of God, that he will do anything. He doesn't care what your background is. He doesn't care about your history. He doesn't care about the mistakes you made. He doesn't care that you've wandered off. He doesn't care about anything. Here's all he cares about. Are you willing to turn around and face him? He uses a powerful word there. Did you catch that? The angels rejoice for those who what? What's the word? Repent. Anybody know what that means, to repent? Repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry. It's saying, I'm sorry, and I'm going to do something about it. It's taking action. That may be where some of you are at right now. You came here this morning, and you're at a point in your life that you're trying to find your way back to God, and you don't like hearing the word repentance because it sounds so churchy. But here's what repentance means. It's just saying, I'm going to come clean with God, and then I'm going to do something about it. Because let's be honest, words don't get it done. It's when we take action that we begin to get it done. And then Jesus moves into the most remarkable, I think, parable in the entire New Testament. Here's what he says. Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. He said, there is this prodigal son. He doesn't use the word prodigal. Here's this young son, and he goes to his father, and he says, I want my inheritance now. Now, again, culturally, imagine what that means. Now, the Pharisee and the sinner, they all get it together. They're on the same page here. You don't do that. As the youngest son, you do not go to your father and say, I would like my money right now. You just don't do that. And so he's broke every rule there is. And then the father does something that's amazing. He gives him the money. He says, here's what you've asked for. It's yours. And what's he do? Well, he goes crazy. Matter of fact, in some of your scriptures, at the very heading, it says prodigal son. How many of you have that in your heading in your Bibles? It says prodigal. Anyone? Okay. Let me just share with you what that even means. Because whenever I've heard the word prodigal, I've always thought prodigal means rebellious. And it's interesting. uh, I mentioned my daughter, uh, Danielle, my youngest. She's the one who shared this with me. She said, hey, Dad, do you even know what prodigal means? I said, oh, yeah, it just means rebellious. She said, no, no, no. It doesn't mean rebellion. She said, if, and I hate it when your kids go, if you do a Greek study. She said, if you do a Greek study, it means, are you ready for this? Excess. It means, is there something in your life of excess? Now, why is that important? Because everybody in this room, you've been a prodigal. Everybody. Sometimes we read this, and if you've gone to church a lot in your life, you're like, I can't relate to this because I'm not a prodigal. See, I've got my act together. I, I do the right things. I make the right decisions. So this young guy, he is a rebel. No, no, you need to back it up and say a prodigal is somebody who has something in their life that is pulling them away from God. And we all have had periods of times in our life that there's been something that has been of excess, that you know you're not right with God because you surrendered, and here's the big one, your time 
or you've surrendered your money to that thing, and here's what's happening. You're slowly drifting away from God. So guess what? We're all prodigals. We are all just like this kid. We're all going to God and say, here's the deal. I know you've promised me a lot. I know you want me to be obedient, yada, yada, yada. You give me what I deserve, and let me do what I want to do. And here's what usually happens. Would you all agree? It doesn't end well. It just never ends well. And it doesn't end well for this young man. Matter of fact, we know what happens. He parties like crazy. He eventually ends up uh, working for our farmhand. He ends up in a pig pen and ends up flat broke. And he makes his way back to his dad because even my dad treats the servants better than I'm being treated right now. And here's the scene that I love. He comes up and his father in the distance sees him and he runs to this young man. Can't you just see this? And he wraps his arms around him, and he does three things that are amazing. He gives him a robe, he gives him a ring, and he gives him sandals. Every one of those matter. The ring meant that he was an honored guest. The robe, excuse me, the robe meant he was an honored guest. The ring meant a sign of authority, and the sandals meant freedom. In other words, all of the servants, they don't have sandals. By giving him sandals, he said, you're not going to work for me. Why? You're my son. And you've come home, and that's enough. Now, I want you to let that sink in because Jesus, as he's telling this, knows everybody in that audience that day, they couldn't comprehend a father who would love to that degree. And what he's trying to communicate is that's how much God loves you. And what about the oldest son? He was responsible. He made good choices. He never challenged authority. He never broke the rules. And he hears the music. It says in verse 25, a party. And he's like many people. We go, what are you doing? How could you possibly honor this kid? This kid who asked you for your money. This kid that wasn't responsible. This kid does not deserve grace. And it's an amazing picture of God reaching out to everybody. Because God will do whatever it takes to reach people wherever they are. So let me ask you a very pointed question. In verse 32, it says, Your brother was dead, now he's alive. He was lost, and what? Now he's found. Where are you in that parable? Now, I want you to seriously think about this. Are you like the youngest son? Right now, you know you're not right with God. You've played a pretty good game. Matter of fact, everybody around you probably doesn't sense this, but deep down you know you're running from God. That's exactly where you're at right now. So you read this parable this morning, and you're like, I kind of relate to this youngest son. I mean, I'm wanting to do some things in my life, and I really don't want to get close to God, but I know I'm kind of running from God right now. Some of you may be like the oldest son. You're very responsible. You do the right things. You make good choices. And people who make bad choices really bother you. Maybe there's somebody in your family, and honestly, at every family reunion, you don't sit by them. Or there's somebody that comes up in conversation all the time, you're like, how many bad choices are they going to make? Or you have a hard time giving somebody a second chance. So you read this parable, and you need to ask, you know, sometimes I'm like the oldest son. But what I really hope is that as you read the story, you relate to the Father. In other words, you read this and you think, you know what? I remember a time that God ran to me. And I remember a time that I was so broken. 
and he showed me unconditional love. And every time I hear this story, it blows me away because God didn't give up on me. Maybe you read this story and there's so much gratitude that builds up because you think that's what God has done for me. Where are you in the parable? One of my favorite authors uh, years ago, and especially when I first started ministry, his name was Tim Hansel, and I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Uh, he wrote a book I would love for you to read. It's called You Gotta Keep Dancing. And Tim Hansel is an, was an amazing guy. He had passed away here just a few years ago. Um, he was an all-state football player, uh, got a full-ride scholarship to Stanford, went on to start this amazing ministry, uh, rock climbing and wilderness training. And I heard him speak, and he's just, he was always challenging people to just, just go for it in life and realize that life is worth dancing and celebrating and, and following God. And he actually had a terrible accident uh, when he was rock climbing, and he lived in chronic pain till the day he died for probably 30 years. So he spoke about living through pain and always pursuing God. But here's a story that he shared that I want to share with you about his dad. He grew up in a very blue-collar home, uh, played football, and his dad was so proud of him. And uh, again, I mentioned he was all-state, got a scholarship, and uh, was going to come out of this little town and go to Stanford and had his whole life ahead of him. And they, they won a huge game. I think it was their state championship. And so he told his dad... Hey, Dad, I'm going to go spend the night with a few buddies. And his dad said, no problem. And he got with his buddies, and uh, they just made some really bad decisions. Uh, they got liquored up. Uh, they started running around, vandalism, you name it. I mean, for, you can imagine a group of high school guys for an entire night, and they got arrested. So he said, here I am sitting in jail. And he said, you know, it's really sexy in the movies when they say you get to make one call. He goes, it's, there's nothing sexy about it because I call my dad. I said, Dad, I'm, I'm in jail, and uh, you need to come get me. And he said he sat there and he thought, I bet you I'm going to lose my scholarship. And you know this is going to make the front page of the papers. And then it really hit him. I can't believe what I just did to my dad. All that he's done for me and he gets this call, and now I, I've got to face him when he picks me up, and here I am in jail. So he said, his dad comes in, and uh, nothing's said. Gets him out of jail. He sits in the front seat of the car, and there's him and his dad. Now it's about 6 in the morning. And he's like, oh, here it comes. And he says, his dad leaned over and looked at him. He said, so Tim, where do you want to go have breakfast this morning? And he said, well, Dad, I, I don't know. And he goes, no, you pick. And he said, he never, ever mentioned that night. He said, you know what I learned about my dad? At the worst time of my life, he just showed up. Now, I want you to think about this in your life. I think of the times in my life when I've made just really stupid mistakes. And I think of the people who've meant the most in my life. And, you know, I don't remember anything they ever said. You know what I remember? They showed up. And my guess is you're the same way. Somebody showed up. That's what he's called everybody in this room to do. You want to be a good friend? You want to be a Christ follower? Show up. Because here's what I love about God. He just keeps showing up. Just when you hit a point in your life, you think, I, I, I can't do anything. I, I'm worthless. There's no hope. He shows up. So this morning, as we sing, as we're going to do every Sunday, 
just a, we call it an invitation. It's just an opportunity to say, if you'd like to come forward in prayer, if you'd like to say, I've, I've come to the point I need Christ, we want to give you this opportunity. We also want you to know from this point forward, we have a prayer room. And this is really important. We realize that when you're hurting, you need a place to go. We want you to know we have a team to pray with you. And that is so important. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years. It doesn't matter. There are going to be Sundays you feel broken and you just need somebody to pray with you and we want to pray with you. But we also want you to know every Sunday we want to give an opportunity to somebody who just says, I need Jesus Christ in my life. Let's stand.